0: let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of the Revelation chapter 1 if you have your Bible if you're not if you don't just check the pew I think you'll find one fairly close at hand I'd like you to join me in God's Word today revelation is pretty easy to find because that's the last book in the Bible but it is nice to hear the rustling of the pages. Let me read from verse number one, please. I'm going to read four verses of Scripture. Watch me, because the last one will be a little bit further down in the chapter. Revelation chapter one and verse one, John writes as follows, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now drop down to verse number 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let's unite our hearts in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we wait upon thee for further blessing, we thank thee that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for the wonderful truth that not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law, till all shall be fulfilled. We thank thee that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and therefore all scripture is profitable. We thank thee that the scripture came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so we come with awe. As Moses of old, we would take our shoes from off our feet, recognizing that the Holy Bible is, in fact, sacred ground. And I pray, Father, that you'll still inquiet our hearts. We thank you for the enthusiasm, the excitement, yea, even the emotion of all that we've sensed thus far in this service. But now, we particularly desire to hear from thee. And I ask, sweet Father, that you will work through me. And allow the things that I have prepared, the things that I have prayed over, to be a blessing to this people today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O God, my strength and my Redeemer. For I pray in Jesus' precious name, amen. You've discerned by now that our theme for this 40th anniversary is 40 Years of Blessing. Where do you start when you look back over 40 years of the Lord's goodness? Of course, that theme is meant to make us think about how the Lord has blessed us as a church. And as I said earlier, anything that's good that's happened here, God has done it. And we'll take credit for all the mistakes. Or whether we might just think of ourselves as individuals, looking back over life. How in the world would we begin to recount the blessings of the Lord? I'm reminded of a little anecdote that I read recently from a book entitled America on Six Rubles a Day, written by the Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov. He says he was totally unprepared for his first visit to an American supermarket. Couldn't believe the veritable plethora of items that present themselves to the American consumer. He went down Several of the aisles, he saw powdered milk. Said, You just add water and you have milk. He saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you have orange juice. He saw baby powder and he said, What a country. <laughs> well, I speak reverently, but what a God. What a God He is. How great are His blessings to us. I've elected today to try to talk to you a little bit about what I'll call blessings supernal. Some people here will think there He goes again with one of His 50-cent words, but you know this word. You've sung it over and over again in the gospel song, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul by John W. Peterson. He talks about in that third stanza, riches eternal and blessings supernal from His blessed hand I received. Those just mean the blessings, supernal just means the blessings that tower above all the others. The blessings that because they're heavenly in nature, because they're not confined to this temporal realm, transcend all of the others. It doesn't mean the others are insignificant, it just means these are far and away beyond anything that this life has to afford. Where would you go in the Bible to find a listing of blessings supernal? The book of the Revelation. This might surprise you. If I were to say, well, let's think about the Beatitudes today, you would say, well, that doesn't surprise me because I know that Jesus spoke eight Beatitudes. Each of them begins with the word blessed, and I guess we're all familiar with that fact. But maybe we're not all familiar with the fact that you find seven additional Beatitudes in the book of the Revelation. And that's what we want to look at together today, and we'll try to get this done in the allotted amount of time. Verse number three gives us the first one of chapter number one. It says here, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. I'd like to combine that for organizational purposes with the last one that you'll find in chapter 22 and verse 7. You might want to keep your finger here, but look in verse 7 of chapter 22. These two actually go together. They're actually talking about the same thing, though they present just a few different thoughts. Here, the Lord Jesus himself says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Let's just refer to the first blessing supernal as the Word of God. That's what this is talking about. Oh, I know that specifically it's referring to the book of the Revelation, which just happens to be the last book in the canon of Scripture, but let's generalize just a little bit and broaden the application the entire Bible but before we do that let's see how it fits in the life of the Apostle John verse number 9 he says I John who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ here he is now probably the last of the Apostles who's living on the earth It's right at the end of the first century, somewhere in the vicinity of the year 95. John is an aged man at this point. He's been exiled to a lonely island about 35 miles off the coast of what today we would call Asia Minor. Away from the city of Ephesus where he administered all those years after the ministry of Paul had taken place there maybe not alone in the sense that there were no other human beings on that island but certainly in many ways alone a man banished a man in exile a man deprived of the support and companionship and blessing of the Christian people to whom he administered and the support structures that he knew and loved and that God had provided for him there in Ephesus but he wasn't alone in some senses yes He was alone, but in many other senses and in a particular sense, he was not alone because he had the companionship and the comfort of the word of God. Isn't that what he's telling us? Verse number three, blessed. There is a blessing, he says, a supernal blessing upon the person who reads and hears the words of this prophecy. Can you project yourself for a moment back into John's position? This is toward the end of the first century. We haven't gotten to the place yet that Christianity has been recognized by the Roman Empire. Christianity isn't also popular in John's day. John himself was persecuted for it. Paul was beheaded for it. Many others gave their life for it. Here's John now, but he gets a particular blessing from the Word of God. Jesus gives him a vision, a vision of those things which are to come. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And yet before he sees anything else, he sees that spectacular vision toward the end of chapter number one of the risen and glorified Christ. He has keys dangling from his girdle, the keys of Hades and of death, the words from his mouth Behold, I am alive evermore. And what a comfort it has been to Christians down through the years to recognize that we do not serve a dead God, but a living and risen Savior. He's there in all of His glory, not in His humiliation as John knew Him upon the earth and during His earthly ministry, but now spectacularly glorified as they saw for that one brief glimpse of time there on the Mount of Transfiguration. But now He sees Him as He truly is. The Lord of glory sort of gives you a little oomph to know that when you know Jesus it doesn't matter if you have the whole Roman Empire lined up against you you are on the winning team then in chapters 2 and 3 the seven churches but they're pictured by seven stars or seven churches the seven candlesticks and the pastors of those churches by the seven stars and Jesus is not only alive but Jesus is in the midst of the local church and all the affairs, whether they're blessings or whether they're persecutions, are subject to His knowledge and to His comfort and to His direction and His blessing. But, oh boy, come chapter number 6, it gets into those judgments which will ultimately usher in the kingdom of Christ on earth when He returns for His second coming in power and great glory. Well, those are just the specific things of the book. Somewhere, Because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, I'd say that is a powerful near overwhelming blessing that he got from the Word of God. But beloved, this is just one experience. This is just one experience that is typical of every man and woman child that knows the Lord down through the years of church history who's found in this precious book a friend, a comfort, a companion in days of sorrow, heartache, and tribulation. It's precious truths nourishing the heart. On one particular occasion, a Scottish minister went to visit among the poor. He went into a rather lowly dwelling of an aged woman, frail, nearly blind, dear woman, went in to visit with her. He noticed that somehow she seemed happy. He wondered, in fact, he asked, how was it that she could spend all of these hours in loneliness by herself and yet seem to be so happy? She said, Preacher, she said, I'm not alone. She said, Jesus is here. And he makes the hours happy for me. And friends come and visitors come and we can talk about Jesus. But she said, there's one hour of the day that's the most blessed hour of all. He was curious. She said, do you see that little window over there? Preacher said, yes. She said on every day when it's not cloudy, she said there's about an hour of the day that the sunshine comes right through that window and shines down. She said it's then that I can get out my large print Bible. She said it's then that I can read it. She said it's then that I spend the happiest and most blessed hour of my day. I tell you, beloved, this book is a blessing supernal. Well, let's not tarry. Let's turn to chapter number 14. We move all the way over there to find the next of them. This one we find in verse 13 of chapter 14. Again, you'll note the word blessed. John says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Blessed are they that, blessed are the dead who die in the lord <laughs> on first reading that may seem a little surprising to you i suspect that there really isn't anyone in this room right now that's standing in line to meet the grim reaper it says, blessed are the dead quite frankly i'm not looking forward to dying i'll be just as happy if jesus returns first <clears throat> but we didn't read it all it says blessed are the dead which die in the Lord in other words let's just refer to this blessing supernal as salvation that precious assurance and knowledge that when we leave this world we really don't have to face a grim reaper but we find in that last scene that the person whom we meet isn't a grim reaper at all it's a kindly shepherd who walks us by the hand right through the valley of the shadow of death that we might fear no evil because he's with us his rod and his staff they comfort us no one wants to die and yet the Bible is clear the record of human history is also clear that it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment but this verse says blessed are they that die in the Lord blessed are the dead which die in the Lord you see The curse is gone. What a thought it is to contemplate the fact that death doesn't have to hold out any fear to somebody that truly knows Jesus Christ as personal Savior because the sting is gone, the fear is gone. The penalty of sin has been borne by our Savior. Maybe we need a little refreshment in exactly what we've been delivered from if we know the Lord. And all we have to do is look in verse 11 above which says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Oh, no, I know that that is written in a tribulation context. I know that specifically it refers to people on the earth during the time when Antichrist is here who don't know the Lord and who submit to his reign and who receive either in their hand or in their forehead the mark of the beast, the 666. I know that but I also know from Scripture as a whole that what it describes here is not different from what it describes everywhere else of the fate that awaits those who do not die in the Lord but who die in their sin everlasting torment I know that's not a popular subject to preach about today I also know that it's a subject that a lot of preachers have given up preaching doesn't change the truth of it In the latter part of the last century, there was a fairly noteworthy lawyer. He was also a very noteworthy skeptic. Maybe you remember his name, Robert Ingersoll. One particular occasion, he went to deliver one of his famous lectures on hell. He delivered a blistering attack on the doctrine of hell in the Bible. He called it the scarecrow of religion, as if it were something simply conjured up by people that our preachers, to scare people into the church, the scarecrow of religion. He talked about how unscientific such a doctrine is. He talked about the fact that in this enlightened age, all intelligent people have essentially forsaken any belief in a place called hell. There was a drunk in the audience. Drunk came up to Ingersoll after the lecture was over and he said, Bob, I really liked your lecture. He said, I liked what you had to say about hell, but Bob, he said, I want you to be sure because he said, I'm depending on you. wonder how many people's faith is just as misplaced as that poor drunk that sat in that audience today. People are ready to embrace the positive as they perceive them truths of the Bible and ever so quick to reject the things that they do not find attractive and yet Jesus whom very few people would doubt, spoke much more about hell than he ever did about heaven. In fact, it was Jesus who uttered those words, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. My friend, a curse, not a blessing, is what awaits people who die not in the Lord, but in their sins. But if you're here today, and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, salvation is a blessing supernal. To know that you've been delivered from it to know that there's eternal rest and that's not cessation of activity Oh, I tell you I'm looking forward to heaven because I don't like the restraints that I have right here oh I don't mean the restraints the deacons put on me I mean the restraints that this physical body puts on me I get tired I get worn out I make mistakes you do the same thing to me heaven wouldn't be heaven if it were inactivity. And I don't say that just to embellish from my own perspective because Scripture is clear about that too. To me, it'll be heaven to be able to serve Jesus unfettered. Rest, he says, not cessation from activity, but deliverance. Yes, I'll take that. Deliverance from all the heartache, all the woe, all the pain, all the sickness, all the things that sin has left in this world. Rest from that. I'll take that any day. blessing supernal let's move along to chapter 16 in verse number 15 Jesus happens to be the speaker in this beatitude he says behold I come as a thief blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame in a word let's just say that this blessing supernal refers to the prospect of reward you know it's an interesting thing in Scripture Maybe not exclusively, but time after time, this happens. When Scripture talks about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it also quite often couples with it the thought of the prospect of reward. Let's just think of one example. You don't need to turn, but that familiar parable in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus is talking about the talents. You remember the one fellow got five, another fellow got two. Right now, we won't talk about the fellow who got one. But the fellow that got five... He made out of them ten in his trading. It was money that was being referred to. The fellow who had two, he doubled those. And to them both, our Lord said something like this, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Reward. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. That's reward. But you know that reward thing is a two-way street because Scripture is also honest and also presents the possibility of believers forfeiting not their salvation, that's not what we're talking about, but their reward by not living faithfully for the Lord. The Bible does talk about that. Think, for instance, of another verse that John himself wrote in 1 John 2, and verse 28, when he talked to his readers there, and he warned them about this very thought, Verse 28 goes as follows, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. That's what's described in this verse. Jesus said, Behold, I come as a thief. In other words, Jesus hasn't told us when He's coming. You can mark that down the next time you see a popular book that purports to give the date of the coming of Christ. Tain't so. He says, I come as a thief. How many thieves have you known that have announced their entrance? But he says, better watch, better be looking, better be expecting, better be prepared. Blessed is the one who watches and keeps his garments. This is simply talking about living faithfully for the Lord. It's a Baptist minister by the name of John Andrew Jones walking down the streets of London one day poor man came up to him asked some money you ever had that experience what do you do preacher thought to himself In fact realized as he put his hand in his pocket that he had but one shilling it's all the money he had to his name so he really debated what he should do and it seemed that the Lord prompted him it seemed that God wanted him to give the shilling to the man so he gave the shilling to the man he walked off a few paces and it seemed as if almost immediately the Spirit of God brought to his mind that proverb that talks about blessed is the one who pities the poor the one who pities the poor lendeth to the Lord and what he giveth will he repay him again he went a few more paces and a man walked up to him he said ah mr. Jones he said I have had in my pocket A sovereign all week looking for some poor minister to give it to he said you just as well have it as anyone else he gave him the sovereign this preacher later when he would tell this story to people as he preached would often add had I not given relief to the poor man who came that day I would have not only missed my encounter with the man who had the sovereign but the sovereign as well reward simply I cannot believe it can you it seems more than we could ever expect and certainly more than we could ever deserve that He would offer us salvation. But He goes further. And if we live for Him, He offers to reward us to the point that the Scriptures, Jesus Himself being the speaker, make it clear that one cannot give so much as a cup of cold water in His name and loses reward. I can't believe it it's a blessing supernal let's turn the page again to chapter 19 it just gets better verse 9 and he saith unto me right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he saith unto me these are the true sayings of God Blessed are they who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's that? That's one of those prophetic things that a lot of people don't understand. Is that right? Well, it may be, but you can understand it here today. All you have to do is look up two verses above, and you'll see it distinguished from something else which may help you understand what's involved in this, where it says, Let us be glad, verse 7, and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready what happens at a marriage two people are united isn't that right and what happens at the marriage of the lamb all of the people all of the redeemed of all of the ages finally brought together united in that grand event to celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ and of their fellowship together the marriage feast simply a figure under which is portrayed that grand celebration that will really last for a thousand years as Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. But you think about a feast as you think about that grand celebration. Ever had an invitation that you really treasured and took home and maybe framed? I don't know what would do it for you. I could tell you, but I won't. That would just be a distraction, what would do it for me. But I can't think of an invitation on this earth that I would treasure more than this one right here. It says it right in the Bible. Blessed are they who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, to think, to join Him at that occasion in resurrected splendor, to join Him in the celebration of His great victory as He comes back on that white charger and as He rules and reigns on the earth, But almost mind-boggling is to think of the fellowship, the sweet repose, as John did at the Last Supper in Jesus' bosom. But the Bible says about more. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible talks about many coming from the east and from the west and sitting down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. Fellowship not just with the Lord, but fellowship with the redeemed, of all of the ages. I'm looking forward to that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, the judges, Gideon, Samson, Barak, all of them, the kings, David, Solomon, and other godly kings that ruled over the nation of Israel, Job, the prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. They'll all be there. But then, to come into the New Testament era and to think about the presence of people like Paul, he's my hero. John, Philip, Andrew, Peter, James, John. Or the church fathers that knew the Lord, people like John Chrysostom. They called him Chrysostom the Golden Mouth. He was such an eloquent preacher. What about St. Augustine? What about the Reformers? What about Luther, Calvin, Zwingli? What about the Wesley brothers? What about Charles Spurgeon? What about George Whitefield? What about D.L. Moody? What about Bob Jones and the other revivalists that tread the sawdust trail to win people to Jesus? They'll all be there. Can you think of a greater blessing than to be invited to that occasion and to share that fellowship with them and most spectacularly with our Lord? turn the page to chapter 20 and verse 7 I'm sorry it's verse 6 blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years see first resurrection preacher I didn't know there were more than one well there are two two main ones at least or you could say there's one in two parts I suppose you don't want any part in the second one you can read about that up in verse five where it says but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished this one described in verse number six is the first resurrection so let's say that this next to last blessing supernal is the resurrection itself that grand and glorious event when the dead in Christ shall rise The Lord Himself descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Or as Paul describes it in a different place, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ might be a homely illustration but it's just sort of been on my heart I hope you'll permit me to be a bit informal for a moment Wednesday evening I got home from church and my wife had an errand for me to run so I dashed back out came down the hill Cedar Tree Manor is not exactly known for its destitution of rabbits. One ran out in front of my car, and I heard that sickening thud under the left rear tire. I hate to hit an animal with a car. It is such an utter waste. But I had to go get what I had to go get, so I went and got it and came back. I knew where the rabbit would be, so I stopped the car when I saw it, about five feet in front of it where the lights were real bright on it I got out of the car and I picked up the rabbit by the ear blood all over the road guts hanging out fur peeled back what was I supposed to do with that rabbit I guess I did what most of you would have done I threw it off the road But I thought about it. In fact, I thought about it quite a bit. Nobody will ever see that rabbit again and nobody will care. Like I told you, we're not exactly sparsely populated up there with them. And that rabbit will be in those bushes and some possum or skunk or some other lowlife will have it. Or the ants or the flies or the worms. kind of an ignominious end, even for a rabbit. Sometimes that even happens to people in this life. Undertakers do their best, but sooner or later, ashes return to ashes, and dust returns to dust, and man returns to the ground from which he was taken. But I share the hope of Job, who said, That after his skin, though worms destroy his body, yet in his flesh he would see God. I thank God that there's a hope of a resurrection. Every time I stand at a grave, this April I stood at my father's grave. I'm so thankful that if we die before the rapture, I'll see him there. But I'm so thankful I'm going to see him like I really remember him. Like I really knew him in the flesh glorified just like Jesus the body of this humiliation conformed to his glorious body according to the power whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself turn the page one more time if you would now to chapter 22 in verse 14 not much time, but this is really the culmination of it all. Maybe I can at least give you a thought. Verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city, into the city. Last blessing, supernal, eternal life. Think about it for a minute. Men and women, boys and girls, When was the last time in the Bible that we saw the tree of life? Think about it. You know your Bible well enough to answer that question. Where? Where? Where was the last time in the Bible we saw the tree of life? Genesis chapter 3. All the way back to the very beginning, the chapter that records the fall. Eve was deceived, but Adam entered into transgression with his eyes wide open and plunged the human race into sin, darkness, and chaos. That's the kind of heart you and I have, heart of sin, darkness, and chaos, apart from the regenerating grace of God. But God made a promise in that chapter. Don't turn, I'll try to do this quickly. To the serpent, in fact, he said, about the seed of the woman, he talked to him about the seed of the woman. And he said, the seed of the woman will, you will bruise or you will hurt his heel, but he will crush your head. And the whole rest of the Bible, until we come to where we are right now, is nothing more than the fulfillment of that promise. As we go all through the Old Testament and we see the foreshadowing and the promises and the prophecies that talk about the seed of the woman, Then we come to Matthew, and we see the Virgin Mary, and we see the Spirit of God superintending in such a way that our Lord Jesus is conceived in her womb without a human father, and that seed of the woman is brought into this world, the sinless, spotless Son of God, the Redeemer. We see Him as He went to the cross, and we see how on the cross the evil one had the opportunity to bruise His heel, but we see in His resurrection victory and when he comes again to rule and reign over the earth how he will crush the serpent's head and now at the end of it all with the plan of redemption complete no more cherubim to revolve a sword to bar the redeemed from the tree of life but free access to it how wise God is what if man had been not been denied access to the tree of life in his fallen condition condemned forever to live forever in this fallen state but to be regenerated to know the Lord to have a heart that beats as his heart beats and one day to have a body that's like his glorious body and then to have that for eternity Oh, beloved ever since people like Ponce de Leon they've looked for figurative and imaginative fountains of life which if one drank the water were reputed to give them eternal youth but Jesus does far better he says let him that is athirst thirst come and drink of the water of life freely and the tree of life blessed is he that hath part in the holy city the New Jerusalem beloved these are the blessings supernal these are the ones that tower above all the others why not because what God has given us in this life is insignificant but because without these things we lose the things that really endure throughout all of eternity the celestial blessings the heavenly blessings the things that go beyond this life and you say this morning I want to have those blessings well bless your heart you can there's essentially only one prerequisite and it isn't what church you belong to and it's not what good works you've done though church and good works are important it's whether or not you have Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal Savior because he's the one who makes it all possible. They claim that some two hundred years ago they opened the tomb of Charlemagne. I can't imagine what a body after all those years the condition would be in but they claim that you could see that he was buried in a seated position, placed in the tomb in a seated position, you could tell about the regal robes. In one hand was a scepter. But the other hand, the bony finger, pointed to the, a copy of the scriptures that were open on his lap. To Mark 8, verse 37, which says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul let's bow our heads and close our eyes our Father these blessings are beyond human description they're beyond the ability of any preacher and I've tried Lord and I pray that somehow Jesus would be uplifted today as people think about the real blessings not just the material ones that we have for which we do praise and thank you, but for what we have to look forward to through all God's eternity. Because of one day, Jesus died on the cross. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We'll not tarry long. But my friend, is it possible that the Lord brought you to this service today for reasons beyond just being a friend to us? Because perhaps you don't have that assurance. I wouldn't embarrass you. I wouldn't chide you, but... I would be less than your friend if I didn't give you an opportunity to do something about that because just as the verse says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You say, preacher, not now, not here. Some other time. Why not now, not here? If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If God is speaking, you only know he's speaking now you don't know that he'll speak tomorrow. I'm not trying to make a Baptist out of you. I'm not trying to get you to come here to church. But it would be such a thrill if there's a man, a woman, a boy or a girl who's here today that'll take that first step. Say, I'm not sure I have the key. What is the key? He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Just ask yourself, can you honestly answer this question? Do you know that you have Jesus Christ in your heart As your personal Savior if yes thank God these blessings are yours if no could we help you come to know him today could someone take a Bible in a quiet place behind the platform and show you just how from the Bible you can put your faith and trust in Christ and leave here knowing not guessing not wondering not hoping knowing that you have eternal life Is there someone here today that says, Pastor, I have to admit I don't have that assurance. I didn't one day and it bugged the fire out of me as a 17-year-old boy until the Holy Spirit conquered my heart. But Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I didn't come to call complacent people, people that are proud, people that are unwilling to admit, but sinners to repentance. Is there anybody here today that will take this first step of saying, Preacher, I need prayer because I need to get this thing settled. You hit something today that I haven't thought about for a while, but it's the honest truth, and I need to get it rectified. I need to get it straightened out. Include me in the prayer. Slip your hand up, would you? I have heads bowed and eyes closed. No one's looking around. I don't want to embarrass you, but take this first step. Let me include you in the prayer. I'm not going to call your name. Would you put your hand up? I'm not sure I'm saved, Preacher. Slip your hand up, would you? Let me include you in closing prayer. Anyone pray for me let's stand together our father we rejoice in this morning that you've given to us and in your goodness we thank thee that thou art in control and we leave the service with you and pray that above all else Jesus will be glorified thank you for our friends thank you for those who have come to be with us today suit a special blessing for them And we'll praise you and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.